Today on the Homeboys Podcast, we're talking life insurance and retirement planning with Curtis Ray, the founder and CEO of MPI Unlimited. He is taking TikTok by storm with millions of followers. Today, we're going to learn what's so compelling about his message. We will learn about his cutting-edge process of retirement planning using life insurance as the investment vehicle and also discuss funding strategies for retirement planning and why the Homeboys disagree with some of those very practices that are becoming so popular. Stay tuned. You're kicking it with the Homeboys. Everybody, you're kicking it with the homeboys. This is Clint Weatherill, and as always, I'm here with Scott Adams. We've got a really exciting show today. We are here with Curtis Ray, the CEO of MPI Unlimited. We're talking some retirement and insurance planning. But first of all, before we get into this, I want to offer Curtis an apology because we had first critiqued something on on Facebook, and I think that I was a TikTok. Little, oh, excuse me, on t- TikTok. Thank you. Um, that I was a little misunderstood. You know, Scott and I are conservative. We uh, we don't uh, you know fund things. You know, a lot of the ways that TikTok and social media is doing these days. And I said, I hate this man. Whenever I said man, I meant to say man. I hate this. So Curtis, I want to tell you first of all, I don't hate you, and I'm honored that you're on our show with us. So thank you very much. And I'm sorry if it came across that way. But anyhow, how are you, Curtis? I appreciate being here. I'm excited to be here. Also. Uh... I I love talking money with anyone and everyone. You know, it's a very important thing. There's so much lack of financial literacy in the world. And I try so hard to bring as much literacy as possible. And it seems like some people don't like me for it because I'm very mathematically based. And I know one of the videos that you guys have posted is like, your math is wrong. No, it's not. My math is right. (laughs) So I like to explain why my math is right. Is it emotional? Is it, you know, there's an emotional side to money. And I get that. And my job is to show you both sides. Hey, the emotional side is going to get you here. The math medical side is going to get you here. The right is probably somewhere in the middle. So let's find a way to have join. And that's why I offered to come on saying, Hey, we're on the same team here. We're trying to help people make their best future. So let's find a way to work together and not, not fight each other. Well, Well, you've made a splash on TikTok, and it's really, really refreshing to see people out there talking finances, talking about financial literacy. It's, it's disgusting in our country, and I won't go on a, a diatribe about it, how little financial literacy our, our systems uh, have baked into them and our schools and all of those things. People just aren't taught these things. And if you don't pay attention to it, you can't create financial wealth. You don't have to have all the answers, but you have to be willing to listen and learn and, and take part in that process. And I got to compliment you because you do it with charisma and you've got some really interesting uh, products that you've created yourself that, you know, there's millions of some of the smartest people on earth always trying to create these new financial products and ways to make yield spreads. And, and I don't, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a licensed uh, life insurance expert. However, I've looked at your products and they are very interesting. And, Thank you. and I think it's neat that you're bringing it out there to the people and, and it speaks to itself that, you've got so many followers. So it's really neat to see. And we're, we're glad to glad to share this with our listeners and, and get to meet you and, and see what you do. So tell us about that. Tell us about your books and what you do. 
Yeah, I mean, I wrote a book in 2018. So the the the, the short story of my life is I own a granite countertop business in 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 uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Get out of here! Really? And I love home remodeling. That is my cool. passion: is taking something broken and fixing it and making it beautiful. And I like design and all that other stuff. And I end up having the third largest business in all of Arizona. We're doing millions of dollars a month in revenue. And I got a partner, an investor, and we became 50-50 partners. And one day he decided to take all the money out of the bank account. And I was just some dumb entrepreneur who just made money. And that's all I love to do is make money, right? But the problem is no one ever tells you to keep money. It is so easy to make money. No one ever tells you to keep money. And on November 1st of 2014, I literally lost every single penny I ever had ever that I built for this 10-year momentum of my life. And I said, and I got a 36 on my ACTs in math. Math is my jam. I literally got a perfect score. And I said, you know what? Why don't I know how money works? I know how to make money, but I don't have any clue how anything works. And so on that day, I said, I am, I, I'm dedicating my life to become the world's expert, not on how you make money, but how you keep money, how you protect money, and how you get money working for you. And I went down this discovery of how stocks work and why they fell as retirement plans and how real estate works and why passive income is the enemy to compounding and how insurance works and how it's so guaranteed security features, but they don't make very much money and, and all the flaws to them and why end up 99% of the American population end up downsizing in retirement. Think how crazy that is. We live in the most abundant, amazing, prosperous country in the whole world. And 99% of our population end up having to cut back in retirement, the golden years, all these great times, because they never understood where to put your money, how to use your money, how to get your money working for you. So I ended up writing my first book just out of the, you know, I just wrote it. It's called Everyone Ends Up Poor. And it was my research I did for four years saying, if you get a 401k IRA, you will end up downsizing, not because you're not rich but because you're not financially free. And 401ks, IRAs, index funds, mutual funds, ETFs, et cetera, are not designed as retirement distribution plans. They're designed as accumulators, meaning you make a lot of money, but then when you go to take out money from them, you only make around 4%. So you end up with a million dollars in your portfolio that's only around 1.6% of the whole population, and you get $40,000 of income what the heck does that mean? You're a millionaire and you're barely living above poverty. Well, they're good. And you get they're real good estate where you have to have, mm -hmm. well, they're, they're good tax shelters at, at you know, they're, they're useful in certain ways, but that is one of the down, one of the downsides to them, what you're talking exactly. about. They have so many features, but retirement income is not one of them. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem is when people use them for a retirement account, trying to avoid taxes and all that other stuff. And then you get life insurance, you get all the whole lifers out there and the index universal lifers out there like, Hey, we're guaranteed. We're guaranteed. We're so great but you make five to 6% rate of return. What the heck are you going to do with that? <laughs> like that barely keeps up with inflation. You, you end up poor also in that system. And then real estate is just a job. Like, yeah, okay, con congratulations. You have a career and you, you went and got 10, 15, 20, 30 doors. That's awesome. Yes, you can manually build your empire, but then you're kind of a slave to it. When do you ever cash out or when do you actually ever actually get that freedom you're looking for? Yeah, you go get a property manager, you lose this and that. But So they all have these different flaws in them. And one day, me and this other guy said, you know what? Real estate knows how to leverage money. They're the best at leveraging stocks are the best at growing money. They know how to grow money. Life insurance is the best at protecting money. 
Let's build one plan that protects your money, grows your money, and leverages your money simultaneously. Is that even possible? Right. And the world told me that's impossible. And I said, nothing's impossible. I mean, we, we put people in space and we have an iPhone right now that 20 years ago, that would have been impossible. And Netflix and Tesla and all these different things. If you believe it and you have an idea and the, and the infrastructures around you to be able to do it, then just build it. And we came to a... a we, we built a product that has guaranteed security features built inside of it that grows inside the stock market while simultaneously leverages it to get extra yield to make it so it actually produces a good retirement. And that's called MPI. Well, I think that's really interesting. And, you know, Scott and I don't claim to be, uh, you know, insurance experts by any stretch. We're, we're not. Our stories aren't really that, that different, Scott. And I both have had um, our hard times came a little bit earlier. You know, I, we, we both went through the Great Recession. Yours went a little bit before that because you were young and so stupid. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but, uh, but anyhow, what I'm, what I'm curious about is how do you just one day say, all right, I'm going to change the insurance business and I'm just going to start this new product? Like how, how does – how does one even go about doing that? Like it just it just seems like something that's so out of my uh, realm of, you know, I couldn't do that, you know. But uh, you know, how how does that get started, Curtis? Four years. Yeah, took a long <laughs> luckily time. for me. Luckily for me, I was a um, at that time. I got a consulting gig where I was being paid fairly well to be on call. And so I had about four years where I literally was on call a couple hours a week and I had 40 to 50 hours where I could dedicate without having to go do an eight, you know, a eight, 10 hour job, eight, eight to 10 hours a day job. And I could fully dedicate to understanding how this works. And then all of a sudden I started working and, and, you know, I'm going to get into life insurance a little bit because life insurance is interesting because so many professed life insurance is the be all end all the greatest of all. And it is tremendously flawed. And, and there are so many problems with life insurance. As an example, um, whole life, whole life barely keeps up with inflation. A lot of people don't realize that you get these infinite bankers out there that are using whole life to build money. It doesn't even break even over inflation for typically 10 to 15 years. So you're actually losing money having a whole life contract for the first 10 to 15 years before it even gets a 0.1% positive gain over I've inflation. Done I've done it. I get it. Exactly, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then you have the, the index universal lifers out there who said, oh, we're the better version of whole life. <laughs> we can actually grow our money. But the problem is I did an audit of 500 different IULs, and there were only nine of them that were built correctly. The rest were built underfunded, max commissions, max expenses, best for these MLM uh, marketing companies who are out there selling these garbage life insurance policies to everyone. And here's how it actually happened. I was sold a garbage life insurance policy when I was 22 years old. And one day in 2014, what all really uh, catapulted this whole thing is someone goes, did you know life insurance is garbage? And I go, what are you talking about? I have a life insurance contract. There's no way it's crappy. Like this, this financial advisor, CFP, who was also selling life insurance said this was the best of the best. And it was going to make me A, B, and C. And uh, so one day I read all 47 pages of the contract and holy crap, 
It was a piece of garbage, not because the plan itself was a piece of garbage, but because the way he designed it to max his commissions, max the expenses and do everything wrong. Sell me way more life insurance than what I was required to buy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I called him up and I said, why did you design it that way? And he goes, you don't know what you're talking about. And I said, I just took four years of my life to read every single piece of literature, every published ever published about life insurance and how you build them correctly and how you maximize them and use them correctly and et cetera, et cetera. And this is unethical and you do not even deserve to be in the financial industry if you're going to build this type of stuff. You know, we, we so, have, we have a experience that's not far off from that. Clint had a financial advisor who was very heavy on selling insurance. And, and I had a different financial advisor prior to that, that was real big on selling whole policies. And when I liquidated, I had about 100 rental properties in my 20s, and I liquidated them, and I was kind of in a down period. I went, Northwestern um, paid me $4,000 to go get my life insurance licensing, my Series 6 and 63. And so I went and I did it, and just to learn. I had no plans to be in that industry. But it was... It There's was, no way that's the right number. Yeah, 7 and 63. I know right? it was 63. Is that right, 63, Curtis? 65, and 7. Yeah, uh-huh. 7 nice, and 63. Man. Those were the two I got, <laughs> 7 and 63. And I, and I learned so much of what a racket the whole life policy game is. And it's they paid terrible. me to learn that. They paid me to learn that. Um, so, you know, we have a similar background with that where, you know, when you finally start peeling back the layers of the onion on some of these policies that are so popular, how ugly they really are. And yeah, because they're heavy commissioned. And yeah. so they're promoted by these insurance companies and insurance MLM marketing companies that are like, here's how you design them. So the agents aren't bad people. They just literally do not understand. They think they're, I mean, they they're literal, their models are like, saving American families and protecting people's lives and all stuff. Oh, they, and they literally it. do not realize they're completely screwing every single person they go to. Yeah. However, there is one way to build an insurance policy that works and it's called max funded increasing death benefit. And by designing a policy, max funded increasing death benefit, it can cut out up to 90% of the commissions, expenses, life insurance, et cetera, et cetera. So your policy even has a chance to work. And that one way of designing, but the problem is it cuts out up to 90% of your commissions. So when a normal life insurance agent's making you know, a hundred to two hundred percent of your first year commission as commissions, and you design it this way, and you're getting twenty percent. So you make fifteen hundred bucks on a on a someone who's putting in six or seven hundred dollars a month. How many policies do you need to sell per year to even make it your career? It's almost impossible for most people because it's hard enough to even get a client, let alone get a client, make twelve dollars to $1,500 on them and go sell 50 to 100 of them to even make a good career. So very few people. I have so many agents who come to me and say, Curtis, your system is so awesome. I want in. You're killing it. How much do I make? And I go, on average, $1,500. Like, I'm out. And I'm like, then you were never in to begin with. If you're not in it to do absolutely what's best for the client every single time, make money your result, not your reason. And the money, the moment you make money your result, not your reason, and your reason is to bring top value to every single person, all of a sudden volume becomes part of your game. I did 3,000 pl- clients last year. Yeah, I only made 1,500 bucks on average, but do the math. I made a lot of money. Right. But it was bringing absolute value to everyone else. But now going into the original question, I know this is a little bit long-winded. Okay. How did I design MPI? 
So I first learned that you can only design a policy one way, max funded increasing death benefit. And if you do that, you can actually get a full return of around six and a half to seven percent interest inside of an insurance contract. That's okay. Stock market does 10 on average, but inside of a life insurance contract, you get guaranteed security against stock market risk. 100% tax-free deferred growth, tax-free retirement income, tax-free death benefit, no access penalties, large contribution limits. You can put in a million dollars a year, retire in five years if you want. There are a lot of advantages inside of a life insurance contract because it's a private plan. It's not a government-mandated plan. And so there's a lot of advantages. So people will take a 7% rate of return on average average for all the benefits inside of this life insurance contract. But then I saw this thing on page, I'm just going to joke, but on page 14 of the life insurance contract, it made this, this claim. And it said, you can take a participating loan at 4%. A participating loan means you can take a loan against the contract, not from the contract. You don't take from the contract. You can take a loan against the contract at 4%. And so I called up the insurance company. I said, can I take a life and can I take a loan against my contract at any moment in time equal to my cash value? They go, yes, you can. I go, and the cost will be 4% right now. And they go, yes. And I go, can I take a loan against my contract and put it right back into my contract? And they go, yeah, you can pay off the loan. I go, no, 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 no. I don't want to pay off the loan. I want the loan to stay in my contract, making me a 3% spread. And I want to put new contributions into my plan, making a 7% spread on average. Now I've built a life insurance contract that can produce a return of 10% interest on average or more as it matures with time. Because we do this every single year. Once a year, whatever your cash value is, we take a loan against it and we we recontribute it right back into the policy, creating leverage. But secure leverage because your policy has a 0% floor guarantee, no market risk against you know, when the stock market crashes, you have no market risk. And so it was this really unique thing where the insurance company looks at me and said, wait, 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 why are you wanting to do this again? And I go, because I want my policy to have leverage in it. I want to gain a 3% spread. They end up having to go back to their actuaries. They called me back up a couple days later and they said, technically you can do that. No one's ever asked us to do that before. And I go, why not? That makes no sense at all. They promote this all day, every day. You probably heard inside of life insurance. When you get to retirement, take the loan because your money's still compounding. The only thing I asked was, if your money can still compound when you're spending it, why not do it sooner than retirement? Why would you wait till you're 65 to get this 3% spread? Start when you're 20. Start when you're 25, when you're so, 30, when you're 35, when you're 40. This works at 10% when the yields you can get up to 10%. At what number does this stop working when yields it drop? Stops, it stops working when your plan can't make more than around 4.75%. Okay. Because the cost of all your expenses combined ends up eating up with around three quarters of a percent of your total right. growth. And then 4% so interest. So if, if, if the plan can make 5% and your loan rate's 4%, it's gaining a positive arbitrage spread, which then brings you value long-term. And once you start compounding that one, two, 3% arbitrage spread, it becomes this 
crazy number. Like people look at my numbers on my board and they go, there's no way you can get 10, 11, 12% securely. And I go, I'm not getting 10, 11, 12% securely. I'm getting 7% securely on average, plus a match program where the insurance company is matching my money every year, which is bringing me an additional 3% on average securely. And when you add them up, that's called secure leverage. You can get 7% securely. So why not let everyone chases the highest rate of return and they don't chase the highest returns. There's a difference between those two things because chasing the highest rate of return puts you at risk. The higher you push it, the more risk you can rather than finding something secure and multiply it. Remember how I said, build your foundation and get your foundation strong. And once you can find something secure, like real estate does it forever, you find a good rental, leverage it, and then build out another one, another one another one, another one. All I did is said, Hey, real estate's been doing this for a hundred years. Leverage your asset, go buy another appreciating asset, leverage that asset, go buy another appreciating asset, but do it without the complications of real estate. So, with so your, it's like the simplified version of real estate. With your plan, you can exit at, well, you just pay off your loan at the end of a year if yield spreads drop and it doesn't work anymore. Right? So if if yields drop below 6.5%, which they will at some point, and then they'll come back, you know, that happens, right? So each well, we year- actually don't, we never exit because some years are going to be zero. We understand right. some years are going to be zero. So it's not a timing game. The great thing about an insurance contract is you're never liable for the interest because they defer the interest all the way to the day you're dead. So let's just say the market drops to zero. So your your match money got zero, your own money got zero, and you owe 4% on the loan. The insurance company says, we'll square up when you die. There's no liability where you have to come out of pocket four, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. So it's a it's the true plan where if you can average long term plus four point seven five percent, it brings you this long term advantage. And over every 20, 30, 40, 50 year segment of the stock market inside of this zero percent floor, 10% return cap system, it's produced at minimum around six percent. Most of the time, it's so, it's over 7%. Right. And so if you're in it for the long term and you just wait it out, down years are going to happen. We know it. Just wait it out. It defers it. And every single, we ran over 10,000 scenarios and had a 100% success rate using 1920, including the Great Depression, all the way to 2019. And then Monte Carloing it where we reverse it. We front, we back, we, we, we mix up all the numbers and had a 100% success rate in order to produce a positive spread for the the client in this unique life insurance uh, design. Yeah, we're always we're always talking, you know, with with uh, in regards to real estate. It's always long term. You know, we're not big into you get in and you get out and you get in and you get out. So I think you know, you said long term. We always say long term. You know, on here with our clients and on our show. So I think it's important for people to understand this isn't a product that when the market and let's just go back to say a two thousand eight, nine, 10 type market. One that, you know, that, uh, Scott and I, you know, we, we, uh, we fought, we had to fight through, you know, it was very unique. So in a market like that, because I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that. What is the, the strategy, uh, with your insurance program? Say if we hit, and I'm not saying that we are, I'm just, I'm just trying to paint a, a picture. We have a 2008, nine, 10 market, you know, uh, tomorrow. It starts tomorrow. What, what, what's, what's the strategy to get through a time like that with, with your insurance product? 
Because I think well, a lot I know of this is going to sound really weird, but the bigger the dip, the better it is for us. Yeah. <laughs> so 2008s are wonderful. And I know that sounds absolutely crazy because the bigger the dip means the better the long-term growth trajectory. trajectory. So 2008 was nine months long. A lot of people don't realize it was only nine months mm-hmm. long. So we would have got a zero that year. Our interest would have been deferred, but 2009, 10, 11, 12, and 13 were all positive. So we would have got full caps, meaning you would have got a 10% rate of return on your money plus a 6% rate of return on all your leveraged money because it would have also got a 10 minus the 4% loan cost. So we would have been gaining 16% or more in all of those years. And we didn't even, all, all 2008 was for us was a ledger a ledger transfer. There was no loss of any principal gain. That's the benefit of MPI, why I call it secure leverage, because it's the only system you think- that I'm familiar with where it can take a 2008 hit and you lose zero account value. You, Literally zero account shut value you down, is lost. Though? Do you think the insurance that- companies would shut you down during a, a time like that? And not not allow this product any any further. Absolutely not. They, they they're built for this. See, insurance. What? Why I believe insurance in the next ten to fifteen years, led by people like me, is going to become the retirement obvious plan. Is because what's an insurance company's job? Mitigate risk. All they do is build plants to mitigate risk always. That, that's just their job. So why wouldn't you want insurance on your retirement plan? You insure your car, your home, your business. You insure everything, but probably one of the most important assets you'll ever own in your whole life, your retirement plan. You know what happened in 2008 real estate and the stock market. In insurance, we didn't even lose sleep. We literally, okay, we didn't make any money this year. Insurance doesn't care because a lot of people don't realize if you want, I'm going to go real quick on what an index universal life insurance contract is because a lot of people don't even realize what it is. Dave Ramsey explains it incorrectly. Um, a guy, other guys on TikTok explains it terribly. But here's what happens inside of an insurance contract. When you, uh, when you have an insurance contract, you get like a dividend-like growth per year. You know, whole life gets four or 5%. That's what their claim is. An indexed universal life goes one step further. It also gets like a four to 5% dividend like growth for that year. All we do is we take the four to 5% dividend like growth rather than taking in our account, we go invest it in an S&P 500 strategy. So if the 2008 collapses, always, all we lost was the four to 5% dividend for that year that single year. So that's where a 0% floor comes from is because none of your money was at risk. All of it was inside the insurance contract. Then it pays out a four to 5% dividend-like income for that year. We take that dividend-like growth. We put it in the S&P 500 strategy. 2008 implodes. Everyone else loses 40 to 50%. We just didn't make any money. Oh, well, life doesn't matter. 2009 rebounds. We get the four to 5% dividend-like growth. We go put an S&P 500 strategy. We make our full returns. We're back in business. We don't have to take that four to five years to rebound. Real estate took 10 years to rebound in some scenarios where it was just all that great growth was lost because it was just making up for what was lost previously. We start exactly where we started. When the market collapses, we freeze our account. We don't make any money and then it jumps right up. So it's, it's, it's a very unique system. If you design it correctly out of the gate, and unfortunately, only around 1% to 2% of all insurance policies are designed correctly, 98% of them are complete trash. You know, we see it in, in big you know, market pullbacks within real estate, and I'm wondering if insurance is, is the same way. You know, the, the um, chicken littles come out, you know, big time whenever, whenever um, you know, you see a 2000, 2008, you know, uh, 
And, you know, and I, I feel like you know within the next five years we're going to see something. We're going to see a, see a pullback. But in 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 the insurance game, how many people do you see? Or this could be a guess. Do they just stop their paying their insurance? You know, premiums during a time like that, and just walk away. Does it? Because you know, like I said, we see that in real estate where people are just like, I don't care. I got to get out. I got to get out. Got to cash out. Got to get out. You know, which we completely try to coach our clients and all of our listeners to. You know, hey, this is a long term deal. Stay the course. But do you do you see a lot of people defaulting in times like that? Um, I mean, when COVID first happened, you know, and the market dropped sharp 25% mm-hmm. in like three minutes, right. um, a lot of my clients were scared. Like, what do I do? I lost my job. I can't go to work. What do I do? And I say, calm down, stay the course, do what you can. Because one great thing about insurance is if you miss a policy payment, it doesn't lapse. It's not like term insurance where you miss one month and the whole thing just cancels. Inside of cash value life insurance, right. what ends up happening, say you have inside your policy and the market collapses or 10,000 or a hundred thousand and your insurance cost is $400 for that year. If you make no payments for the whole year, the insurance company just auto withdraws your $400 payment from your cash value. So you, uh, you only have $4,600 at the end of the year. So it would take five, 10, 15 years. Sometimes, I mean, in some scenarios, depending on how long you've been in it, it would take Unlimited. It would never self-implode because you've you've built that foundation of security where your only liability are the expenses inside the policy. And if you design it correctly, where we're cutting out up to 90% of the expenses and insurance costs and commissions inside these policies, it can take decades and decades and decades of not making any premium payments before the policy would self-lapse. I've had one client that I'm familiar with that did pull out all his money and just cancel the policy. And that's because he was getting divorced and his wife was freaking out that he'd started this insurance policy and blah, blah, blah. And there was a surrender charge. And it was a, it was a terrible idea for him because he could have just taken a loan against it and still let it survive. But he was emotionally uh, rapid firing, sell, sell, sell. I got to get out of everything. Um, I got to make this happen. But, but we you, educate you so heavily. Couldn't you technically have losses in it during a downturn? If someone loses their job, they're not pre- paying, you know, they're, they're, premiums on it and they've got a four percent loan on it so you could technically lose money during those down years right yeah the the four percent loan is a deferred loan so there's no you don't owe any money but yeah i mean it's it's technically an iou so that's technically a loss when you consider it you know hopefully there's a rebound right behind and stuff like that the liability is your expenses so if you made no premium payments and you had $10,000 and a year goes by and the market's a zero and your insurance cost is three or 400 bucks, you will end that year with $9,700 or $9,600 or whatever okay. else. So and, there, you know, and that's why it would take 10, 20, 30 years of no payments, just deducting your insurance costs over and over and over and over until the policy finally runs out of money. Well, let me talk about another part of the plan that you explained at the beginning that we haven't touched on yet, which is using real estate, leveraging real estate in order to fund this. So, so tell us your philosophy on that. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not a big fan of taking out home equity line of credit to fund it. That's something that as a, as a financial professional, we do not tell people go into debt. My video that you guys were watching and the other videos I make, I say, if you have a 15 year mortgage, 
that extra money that you're putting towards it is going to save you around $160,000 of interest. I joked that in that video, you're like, he must have not subtract out the extra interest. Of course I did. Like, <laughs> I, I know what I'm doing here. Well, we were, if you have a, there's a short window to show videos on TikTok. You can't include all of the math or you would, it wouldn't be a TikTok. So of I know, course you I know. Did. I just, just got to give you a hard time it. for it. But, but yeah, you um, are paying additional, um, yeah, anyway. You're paying about a in 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 the example that I just ran today on new in, on new um, interest rates because new interest rates are five percent and four point two five for a thirty. So in that scenario, three hundred thousand dollar mortgage on a fifteen year mortgage will cost you around twenty three hundred dollars a month on just mortgage and interest. You know those two, not 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 all the other things, insurance right. and all that other stuff. And you'll end up paying around one hundred and ten thousand dollars of interest. If you go get a 30-year mortgage, it will cost you around $1,600 a month. So there's a $700 spread there of cash flow. My thing is create cash flow. How do you get more money that you can get implemented working for you rather than what I joke about working for the bank you know, right. type thing? And you'll end up paying around $280,000 of interest. So there's $170,000 of extra interest you will pay for a 30-year mortgage. It's already auto-calculated inside right. your payments. There's no extra savings. There's no extra interest. It's just $2,300 and $1,600. And that's just where it is. So there's $700 of cash flow. You go get $700 a month inside of the MPI compound interest account for 30 years, that same 30-year period, there'll be around $1.3 million of compound interest that you were able to achieve in that time frame. So you gave up $1.3 million to save $180. That's a bad mathematical decision. So when I, when I joke that, hey, you're working for the bank, the bank's not in the business of lending money. The bank is in the business of lending out your money. That's what they're in the business right. of doing. They want your deposits. They get as many deposits as possible so they can get a 10 to 1 leverage ratio. The government allows the lend up 10 times the one on someone else's money. Right. And so they want your money back as fast as possible. They love when you pay for a house in cash because now they have $300,000. They can go get $3 million of leverage off of that. They're only going to get one to 2% lending it out to people, maybe even more on bad credit people and stuff like that. So now they're equivalently making 20 to 30% rate of return on leveraged money that you gave them quicker. And so that's my, I mean, it's an abstract concept, but my thing is Right. Banks want your money as fast as possible. And that's why they give you a 4.25% loan rate at 15%. Why would they give you a lower loan rate? Well, because they want your money as back as fast as possible so they can leverage out 10 to 1. You're you're definitely a math guy. I mean, it comes across, you know, when, whenever <laughs> we're talking this. I think, you know, what Scott and I preach a lot is obviously there's a lot of people that don't have the math acumen, you know, that 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 you have. So we try to to dumb down financial literacy, you know, as much as possible. And we use a lot of the same strategies that, you know, thank the good Lord have made us, you know, very successful. And, you know, we preach a, an overall mindset. And, you know, you see, you know, a lot on TikTok, you know, everyone refi till you die and, you know, never have any equity in your home. And we, we believe that it creates a, uh, you know, it takes people down a path of over leveraging, and not being able to uh, to claw their way out when the market you know uh, you know goes backwards you know we have seen this incredible elevator ride since since 2010 you know we've been a part of it we're we're very grateful to have been a part of it but we also know that if it if it goes backwards we watched a lot of people um, go bankrupt 
um, during the Great Recession. You know, in, in you know in our our home city here in Indianapolis, people were leveraged to the hilt. So you know, we try to preach uh, an overall mindset because really, you know, like I said, I, a lot of people aren't going to have you know your financial experience and your 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 math acumen. So you know, so we understand you know one another. We're just trying to dumb things down, you know, as much as as much as we can, and make real estate investing. It doesn't have to be that difficult, you know. It doesn't doesn't have to be. So, so one of the things that's very important that that we are are fighting the trend on is the over leveraging, and from for someone to go from a um, a fifteen year mortgage into a thirty year mortgage on their principal residence instead in order to have more cash flow to put into an investment product i've got zero problem with i've got i've got no problem with people doing that however if people are are squeezing every penny out of their houses and then leveraging to buy more rentals and then leveraging to um, get more money to put in other investment vehicles like like what you have that's our core issue that we see out there that's dangerous, especially in real estate from our perspective. Because when there's a pullback in the market, and let's say, you know, during those down periods when MPI goes to zero, your returns are at zero, and you guys are salivating because you know there's an uptick coming <laughs> and you're excited. At the same time, people are going to be losing jobs. Tenants will too. Uh, rents go down. And people who don't have equity, if they have a situation in life where they have to sell their primary residence, maybe sell their rentals to get by to pay for their daughter's wedding. We've seen that snowball and put people into bankruptcy who just leverage too much. So what yeah, do you I, think is enough leverage? Where, where, do, where would you draw that line? Okay. So I agree with you. I am so anti over leverage. So the, the problem with a lot of insurance guys is especially with infinite banking, they always get these whole life policies and they leverage at 95% and one down year, you can't even afford to pay the interest and all the other crazy things that happen. So I'm a big fan of slow and steady inside the MPI system. We don't even start leverage till the third year. You've got to make two full years of payments to build a foundation of cash flow, of cash value, support six or seven years. Years of down uh, down years in a row where you can afford the interest payments, even if you didn't put any more money into it. So there are things that we've done to make sure that slow and steady wins this race, guys. You do not need instant gratification. You do not need to get rich quick. Let things build so that no matter what happens, you're a tank. And Armageddon can happen. You can make it happen. And why I'm a big fan of 30s over 15s. Because I believe 15s are actually a higher liability. And the math shows me that it's a more liability because right. if, if everyone goes, well, if you lose your job, your house is paid off. What happens in the first 15 years right. where you have a 35% higher mortgage payment? You have zero cash flow. You have zero liquidity because it's all inside that. And then your equity drops, you know, and you put all your money inside your equity and the value of your home went from 300000 to 175000 like it did in 2009. You lost all the money you put in. So you invested all this money over that five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years. You had no liquidity and you have a 35% higher payment. Yeah, on that point, I actually, when I was early in my career, followed your advice there. I got a 30-year mortgage always and I paid it on a 15-year schedule, but I had it as my safety net in case there was a downturn. I totally get that reasoning. You know, yeah. what, what you yeah. just said. So you can survive you just, it. You just see a, 
people are so bad with money. Right. You know, you see people. They're so bad, with money. so bad with money. <laughs> but I totally, I, I'm totally on board um, with that. In fact, I've done it. You, you know, have too. I've done it. And, you know, yeah. it's been a while, but yeah, I did the same. And thing. so what I, what I'm just saying is rather than put that extra payment towards your mortgage, if you have a place to put it securely, that's the key. That's why, uh, am I, do I tell people to go get a 1530 and go put it into investments like crypto and other things? I say, heck no. You're too insecure. What if the market drops 40% tomorrow? Like that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Like I'm even more on the camp of, yeah, you're probably better off paying off your house if you're going to go do crazy investments. Like that's crazy. But because of the security features of MPI and you do not lose liquidity, even in a 2008, 40%. So you're five, six, seven years into it. You've been saving $700 a month in MPI, which is $8,400 a year. It's now compounding. It's growing at year seven. The market crashes 2008 and you've got got $70,000 of liquidity in your account. It did not go down a single penny. You have the lowest payment possible. You lose your job. That's the key. You lose your job. You have $70,000 that you can pull from to live your life, rebound, go get a new job that you would not have if that money was in equity. And then the home value and banks tighten up and they don't even allow a HELOCs at that point in time. And you're just in a really, really bad position. If yeah, it's great to have a lower payment, but if you have no job and no cash flow, that becomes a whole different thing. So the secure compound interest count is where I hope you and I can somehow, you know, come to this, uh, you know, more we talk and maybe we can become a relationship where, okay, a secure compound discount makes sense. You know, in that one scenario. We're, most people don't have the access to banking that someone like Clint and I have. You know, we have our bankers are willing to create products for us. And what's interesting is, and I've never talked about this publicly, but we have something that they've created for us that's not far off from this. That's um, awesome. Using some ret past retirement funds that we loan ourselves that the bank has allowed. And it's, it's a one-off product that they created for us. So this is not far off from no. what we we've done um, in many ways. And we love it. And, yeah. and infinite banking is a yeah. big thing. And we just launched the MPI infinite banking plan. I was a really against infinite banking for the longest time because inside of a whole life contract, you never make money and your loan rates higher than your dividend rate. And so you're losing money, borrowing your own money. Right. It's just a complete utter sales gimmick. The whole thing is a sales gimmick. However, inside the MPI system, you can have your money working in three places at the same time. The MPI infinite banking plan, your money's inside of a secure compound discount gaining around 7%. When you want to go buy a real estate deal, now you can be selective. You don't need to force investments because you have your money growing for you already. It's already somewhere growing at around 7%, which is a solid rate of return compared to you know most every type of return. So you get that. Now you go and find an awesome real estate deal, uh, buy a small business, whatever. You can leverage against your MPI plan, still making 3%. So now you have your money making your 7%, uh, 3%, and also whatever the investment is making you. So the MPI infinite banking plan is the only plan I'm familiar with where it's working in three places. Everyone says, oh, get your money working in two places at one time. I'm like, oh, that's cute. That's so, so do you believe in passive uh, income then from real estate as well? I, I wasn't sure I, on I your message on that. 
Yeah, I don't believe in spending the passive income until you hit a point where you've earned the right to spend the passive oh, income. Because you spend passive income, it's not compounding. You got to be reinvesting that passive income over and over and over until you've hit the point where you've hit financial freedom, and then spend it all day because you've earned the right to spend it. But so many people go and get this $300 a month, $500 a month off their rental, and they're spending it. And they're increasing their rents 3% per year thinking they're making more money. That's just inflation. You're speaking our language that's, here. That's great. So it's, it's, it's a passive income is anti-compound income. Correct. If you take passive income and reinvest, it becomes compounding. Correct. It's not passive anymore. Correct. It's compounding. Yeah. And then one day you have enough investments where it's producing you 150000 a year, 100000 a year, 200000 a year. You've now hit financial freedom. Now spend all your passive income every day for the rest of your life. So share with him our, our philosophy on what we do and what we preach. Like as far as... With as, passive as, income as, as, you know, we service debt first. Right. It's service that debt. Well, we're a bit of a, we're a bit of a, you know, uh, we're, we're the exception, you know, folks, uh, because like we live so far be, below our means. I mean, you know, we, you know, we both drive vehicles that are 30 years old and you know we're old we're old fuddy duddies but we we're always we're always investing all of our money back into you know other deals and you know we've got a partnership that we believe in just being very conservative not using the gains that we get from our real estate to go fund some crazy lifestyle with a mclaren and a, you know a private plane and you know you see a lot of that stuff on tiktok and you know, you, you know, there's a particular guy that uh, that that we've we've discussed where he's got a six wheel car and he's you know he's he's got a shirt that's got hundred dollar bills, you know, on it and it just I don't know I I believe that that's a very empty life for a lot of people anyway. You know, I don't want to get too much into our, our spiritual you know lives, but you know we're just so against a lot of that flash. And, yeah. So uh, if if. If you pay down, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Ooh, so good, if man. you if we you pay down your debt, um, and and continue to reinvest every dollar that comes in a, that property, as you said, it's compounding. It 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 suddenly we don't take money out of our properties, we, we, and we don't mind not leveraging them. In fact, our goal is to own everything free and clear. So we accelerate debt. We never take distributions from our properties. An example: we built a. Um, a mixed-use building that a restaurant went into, and we get an influx of cash from a, a, the new restaurateur, you know, say $30,000. We don't need to take fifteen. We literally pay down the limited debt that's left on that. And when it comes in and when that's paid off, we use the income, the passive income from that property to buy more properties. But for us, we also have to have a pretty clear picture of what we look like on paper for any kind of lending institution as well. So, yeah. you know, that's something that we have to talk about weekly, but I've really enjoyed our conversation, Curtis. We really appreciate you coming on. I want to, I want to end with, um, you know, you're obviously a really smart guy, really hardworking guy. Um, why do you do all this? What I think I saw where you have five kids. Is that, is that correct? Married with five kids, yes. So, so tell us about your family and what you like to do outside of you know busting your behind in the insurance world. 
<laughs> well, I wrestled in college. I play football all the time. I got my back surgery just so I could play football again. It's like, oh, I miss football. That's what I want to do. Um, I'm a spender, so I'm like a little bit opposite, but I spend on memories and experiences. I, I like taking my kids out. We do lots of stuff together. I drive a 2016 Chevy Malibu. So it's like, right I'm an introvert, so I don't like attention. I wear the same shirts every day. Like I, I don't have flashy anything, but I will spend money on experience and life and in abundance and you know experience what the world i like to travel every year i go to a new uh, country just to see what it's like and all of this stuff um my kids are so so important to me like I, I like my kids are like oh you know when we get older and we move out i'm like you're never moving out <laughs> no no you're staying in my house forever like i don't you guys can live in the basement like live anywhere like no i want you close to me um i grew up with nine eight brothers and sisters we have nine kids in my family so family is very, very important to me. Teaching them about financial literacy is very important. My kids, um, I, I'm a little bit different. Like my philosophies on money, money is a tool. It's not a, it's just a tool. Learn how to use it correctly. Don't have any emotional attachment to it. That's where people go wrong is where they start becoming emotional for their money decisions and they start making really bad money decisions. We're going to have to have an off-camera conversation on, on wanting to own everything in cash. No, I know. <laughs> no, I understand. <laughs> But how, yeah, how much then, is know, enough? It, how much is enough? That's the thing. Exactly. exactly. We, we've reached and, and, a point know, in our it, career where we don't need to compound everything. You know, we, we've reached a threshold of wealth that you, you just don't have to chase it as hard. And that's perfect because that people go, Curse, will you ever pay off your house? I'm like, sure, I will someday. When you hit that threshold of, you know, I've now afforded to make bad money decisions, not bad money decisions, but inefficient money decisions to make me feel better because emotion does play a role in this game. Sure. But a lot of people, because 99% of people end up poor and end up downsizing retirement. No, 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 no. You can't make bad money decisions right now because you haven't earned that right. And you will get to 60, 65, 70, where it's like, oh my goodness, now the next 20, 25 years of my life, I struggled, but my house is paid off. We've earned because that right. Because you did right. it backwards. We've earned you that right. You should have built wealth first and then yeah. paid off your house. Yeah, we, That's what you should have done. We've, we've put but in so, a lot of hard work to earn that right to be able to not be as efficient with money. I'm not saying that you should let, you should have leverage as you build. It's okay, just not over leverage. And at some point, exactly. it's nice to have stuff free and clear though and sit back and relax. And like you said, Clint and I are real focused on the experiences, and, and we hope that the people who listen understand that that should be the goal in life and period. Time with your family, great experiences. I think what you said there is is really interesting, motivational. I love hearing people talk about the priorities that you have. Plus, you've clearly put in the hard work, the time, the effort. You've been through ups and downs. You've survived it. You obviously come out punching every time. So it's really inspiring to listen to you talk. And it's, it, it fires me up because you have so much energy and you're at that point in your career where you're building neat stuff. And we're at different phases of our careers. But you're, I, I think what you're doing is pretty, pretty impressive. So, and I want to leave on this one last note with my children. Like, um, I want to try to help the world see money as a tool, not as an emotional thing, because I put away a lot of money for my kids. Every single one of my kids, I put away $2,000 a month. And so it is a, it is a large amount of money I put. And by their 30th birthday, every single one of them by their 30th birthday is projected to have around 2.5 to $3.5 million inside their accounts, depending on when I started their account, you know, cause some were already six or seven years old when we started. And I, and I tell them, I go, here's what I want out of my children. 
live your best life. Do exactly what makes you happy. Spend time with your kids, go on vacation with your spouse, things like that. I never want money to cause you to make a decision that makes you unhappy. So many people, for example, I have someone who works for me and, and he's a great individual and he's a chef and he loves the arts of culinary. Like he loves it, but it pays $30,000 a year. So he can't do that. You cannot afford a, You cannot support a family of two kids and a wife on $30,000 a year. So he had to leave his passion to go do something that pays the bills. And how many people do you know that are not doing what they're passionate about? And so I told my kids, I go, by your 30th birthday, you better figure out what you love to do. You better be the world's greatest at it. You better go find happiness to every degree. And you will never worry about a paycheck because that should not be a reason you are not happy. I, this will provide your paycheck, but now go bring value to the world. Be awesome, be great, and be the best at everything you do, no matter what you do. Money will not be a, not be a point. And some people are like, how dare you? They're going to be trust fund babies. I'm like, that's just how you raise your kids. My kids are freaking awesome. They will not be trust fund babies because they are, they, they are out there to help more people be happy and bring that value to the, to, to, to the world. Well, I think it's awesome. I've got. I've, I'm a little old uh, to have such young children, and I appreciate uh, you know what you said. I'm still, I'm still learning to be a parent every day. I love it. I'm a girl dad. I've got two. I can't imagine you having five. Um, you know, you've, you've got uh, you've got a special woman at home, and I think it's I think it's great. I saw a picture um, of your beautiful family, and um, you know, blessings blessings to you, your wife, and your children. We just thank you for having you on the show and spending some time with us. Um, this is Curtis Ray, uh, CEO of MPI Unlimited. I also want to say his books are Everyone Ends Up Poor and The Lost Science of Compound Interest. I'm going to check them out. Curtis, we really appreciate you having you on the show. You have a wonderful day. You guys too. It was a pleasure. And anytime you want me on, let me know. Will do. Thanks again. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our podcast with Curtis Ray. Keep in mind, we are not life insurance experts, so please do your own research. Curtis, we appreciate the great conversation. Good luck to you, real estate investors. Till next time, happy investing.